Hello, OTs, and welcome to the OT Connect podcast, connecting and bringing together the community OT network. This is Kyle Murphy, your host. We are so excited today to share our inaugural episode with Director of Clinical Services, Colin Chan. Colin is the best person to kick things off on the podcast. His incredible leadership and expertise have inspired so many of us here over the years at CBI. We were really hoping today that he could speak to what we're calling the origin story, of where the community OT program had started, as well as Colin's story, why he started as an occupational therapist and what brought us to where we are today. Without further ado, Colin Chen. Thanks, Cal. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and thanks for having me. I think this is an exciting way for us to to launch the the podcast and I think you're going to be a great host. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for joining us, Colin. Maybe I'll just start off with, uh, you know, the uh, <laughs> the classic uh, kind of question that I think we get asked all the time. You know, what was the process of you becoming an OT, and uh, what made you sort of want to become an occupational therapist, and uh, what sparked your interest in that area? It's funny. I think I'm one of the OG OTs within CBI. I think I've been around for probably the longest in terms of the existing OTs within CBI Health, right? right? Right now, the OT role has evolved so much from when I started to what it is now. It's really changed a lot. And I think the community program has been a big part of that. But for, for me, what drew me to OT to, to begin with, I would say, I mean, like most people, no one knows what OT is, right? You know, all these other professional programs. Um, so in that process, you start to volunteer and, and what have you. And without getting too too long-winded, I did some, some time at the hospital. I got exposure to OTs and PTs, and I did find that that OT was way cooler than physio through that. Um, <laughs> uh, no offense to the physios out there. Um, just, you know, just much more meaningful versus just the rote exercises and, and the physical aspects, which was so, so limited. Uh, and my grandma at the time too, um, God bless her, had an aneurysm and was in hospital at the time and was, was working with an OT. So I had some direct exposure to OT. Um, but at the time, because I was into sports and fitness, I was really into the biomechanical physical side of OT alongside physio. Um, and that's really what I wanted to do coming out of school was be a hand therapist and focus on on the physical MSK side of things. But as as time goes on, and as things change in life and as you learn more, uh, I really got into the mental health space. Um, and then fast forward 10 years later, we created a mental health trauma program, which was completely different from what I envisioned OT to be for me coming out of school as, as a young man. That's pretty awesome, though, when you think about it, you know, you think that a lot of OTs have that background, right, of maybe the physical health. More and more, I think, are having more of a psychology or mental health. But for a long time there, it was almost like uh, it was, you know, it was very closely related to physio, I suppose, in ways. And, and maybe the way that you'd think if you were interested in being a physio would be similar to OT. But it seems like it has changed quite a bit. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. I don't know. Thanks for sharing. Um and I think a big question a lot of people probably would have, and, and just with our program evolving so much over the years, is what was CBI like in the early days when you started as a therapist? And um, what did an OT look like back then? Um, good question. I feel like either practice and OT, again, this was back in 2006, looked a certain kind of way. And I think any OT that was outside of hospital or rehab setting was doing MVA work and that was it, right? And that was the that was the only space 
within which OTs could live. And it was very much insurance driven, right? Like the, the independent examinations, uh, the acute space in terms of MVA. And it was, it was diverse in the sense that within an MVA world, you could do anything. You could do mental health, you could do concussion, you could do MSK, you could do in-clinic, in-home, in the workplace. So it was broad in that sense, like we were doing functional testing and JSAs and, and all of that. But it wasn't a, there wasn't a heavy focus on mental health. I feel like at the time, like you said, it was very much MSK-based and physical-based. Um, it wasn't until probably six, seven years into my career that, and shout out to Nadia Parker, she created this disability program within CBI Health, and it was much more anxiety and depression and chronic pain. And we, de- we developed this more psychosocial-based OT program that was alongside of the, the, the physios and the chiros and the massage therapists in clinic. Um, so that's where we got a lot of exposure into CBT and, and behavioral activation uh, in terms of OTs working with clients. Um, but that's what OT looked like before. Like back then we did everything, right? We were in clinic, we were outside of clinic. And at the time, I feel like because it was such a diverse workplace and clinically and geographically and and physically in terms of facility, we were doing everything. It was really difficult for an OT to, to be good at everything. I feel like OTs were trained on all these different things and we were jacks of all trades and we had to be generalists in many ways, which was great for people that wanted the diversity in terms of workload, but it was really hard for people to feel like they were experts and to feel competent and good at any one thing. And because of that, I feel like we burned through a lot of our OTs and turnover wasn't great back then. And I'll be the first to admit that. Um, so at some point we drew a line in the sand. We're like, okay, so what do you want to do? Do you want to be in clinic or do you want to be in community? Do you want to do disability type work in clinic as part of a team with a set schedule? Or do you want to be in community doing this trauma work that we built, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, uh, and do just that and invest in training and mentorship and supports and build something around just that so that you could feel like you're an expert and do the best work that you could possibly do uh, in and, and operate within a space that is meaningful to you and, and, and something that you're passionate about. So we created the trauma program and the community program um, six, seven years ago, um, and we haven't looked back. And I feel like because we have become an expert in this niche space, we created a, a cool um, kind of division, so to speak, within the profession of, of OT that didn't really exist before. There, were, there weren't a lot of OTs doing trauma work. Uh, and because we, we paved the way, I feel like a lot of OTs are out there doing great work that they're proud of um, because of it. Wow, yeah, that's, that's really amazing to hear. And, and I can relate a little bit being here years ago when you were asked to sort of do a lot of different things, which was really interesting to a lot of people. But I could totally see how that would lead to burnout, right? Because some people liked being able to sort of dabble a bit in like cognitive versus MVA versus LTD, uh, functional testing. But then it became very overwhelming for certain people, didn't it? So it's really interesting how you sort of link it to, you know, really narrowing in on a program that has like more specificity, I suppose, and one in which someone can sort of dive in and feel more confident and able to sort of, and, and align with their interests potentially, right? So, no, that's, yeah, that's you know, it, it's, some people like to wear different hats and they can do that and they can have the, the flexibility to jump between different roles, but it, it's really hard to do so, right? So I feel like yeah. just 
feeling like you're good at one thing and investing your time and energy into one thing just helps people stay focused and in their lane. And I feel like people are happier and, and more engaged and productive because of it. Absolutely. Um, so you started to speak a little bit about the trauma program. You mentioned about six or seven years ago, there wasn't many people in the space. It was it was not an area where a lot of OTs were even really, um, well, OTs weren't even really on the radar, I suppose. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and where it initially started and how you were able to start to grow that particular kind of field. Yeah, sure. Happy happy to speak on it. I can probably speak to it for, for days. Um, I, I feel like at the time, um, like like I mentioned, we were doing a lot of work with the disability insurers, right? And OTs were diving into the psychosocial space and and really focusing on mental health interventions that focused on function and return to work. And that was a bit of a different space, right? Because it's very easy to be overly advocate, be an overly advocate. Uh, in terms of, of of being client-centered and supporting our folks and, and the talk therapy and, and all of that, right? But because our disability funders were very much focused on short timelines and return to work, it was a bit of a dichotomy in terms of us supporting our clients and listening and, and being there for them and being compassionate, but then also kind of kicking them in the pants and forcing them along so that they would move back to work. So it was a, it was a, it, it was a challenging space to be in. Um, and that's just within the disability world. So we started seeing WSIB files, and mind you, it was quite limited. We saw maybe one or two files per year, I would say, because at the time, OTs weren't mentioned when it came to mental health from a workplace injury standpoint, psychological injury. If you had a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, or or PTSD, you were seen by a psychologist or a psychotherapist, and that was it. Um, But the problem was, was that those psych providers had because they had a monopoly on the game they could do whatever they wanted and essentially what they would do is they would assess and they would treat and they would treat and treat and treat and they would treat indefinitely without any improvements without any accountability and their clients would be off work forever they would restrict them from work forever and they would just keep on treating and it was a broken system in that sense because WCIB would continue to pay for it employers would struggle because they lost their employee for forever um, and would have to make adjustments. And the clients, most importantly, felt like they were getting the right treatment by an expert provider, but were not actually getting any evidence-based treatment at all. And therefore, they were not getting better. But the longer they went on without getting better, the more hope that they lost because they felt like they were in this abyss of what PTSD was and this lifelong sentence. So it was a really broken system. So what we did was we started to message out to WSIB and go on this campaign, just educating and informing them about what OTs could do and how we could operate within the mental health space and how we could work with those types of clients that we were trained and educated and capable Uh, But we would do so with a functional-based lens. And that's what OT is, right? We do everything with a functional focus in that it doesn't matter what your impairment is, psychosocial, cognitive, physical, um, how can you still live the life you want to live and do the things you want to do? So that was in line with what WCB was interested in, obviously, in terms of getting people better functionally and from an employment standpoint. So they started to test the water. So like, okay, sounds interesting. Let's give it a try. So the first couple of cases that we got, clients were actually getting better, right? Clients that had seen psychologists for 10 years, they were off work for 10 years, not getting better. Magically, within a couple months, their 
improving their function and considering return to work, right? So it was working and OTs were the driving force behind that. So the problem was, was that even though WSEB wanted it and they saw the value in it, the psychologists were still the barrier. They were holding all the cards. So yeah, exactly, right? Because part of it was like, well, we're the experts, you know, we are the professionals in the mental health arena, and therefore we should call all the shots and be the sole providers. So a lot of them were very resistant to working with OTs. So the next part, stage two of the campaign was to meet with as many psychs as we could possibly find in community in their own private practices. They were seeing WSEB psych trauma clients and just educating them, getting to know them, uh, having coffees and dinners and lunches, just not to take away their business or their clients, or to step on their toes in any kind of way, but just to let them know that we could help. All the things that they were stuck on, all the barriers that they faced in terms of working with those clients, we could resolve because we could also supplement their treatment by adding and reinforcing to psychoeducation, by reviewing coping skills. But we could do that not just within the four walls of a clinic or an office, we could do that in vivo in community. So all the homework, all the exposure activation goals that clients would never do, we could actually go and do that for them or with them. Um, So psychs were interested, or the psychs that were open-minded were interested. Um, So when we started working with those clients that psychs would then refer, those, again, those clients would get better. So WSIB was on board, psychs were on board, um, but then all of that would fall apart because clients were getting better, but all of it would fall apart if the employer wasn't supportive. So then campaign number three was to meet with all the employers across the province, all the cities and regions, uh, the first responder agencies, um, the large organizations that historically never really understood or supported mental health uh, and wellness within the workplace and treated mental health psychological injuries the same as physical injuries. You know, you hurt your back, you know, you get some time off, you come back, you get some training, you're back full duties within a couple of days. It doesn't work that way, right? With mental health. So giving them some education and advocating on behalf of the clients in terms of um, you know, graduated return to work plans, us getting access to certain facilities and resources as part of treatment for exposure therapy, just being able to have them customize and flex what was available in terms of accommodations and treatment and um, solutions essentially for a custom return to work plans, getting them on board really helped the clients feel like they were they were in a safe space and felt supported by their employer, who, who, with whom oftentimes there's a, a kind of an interpersonal negative relationship, right? Um, so long story short, working with WSIB and psychologists and, and employers eventually, and even in clients to a large degree, as they would advocate for OTs and speak to their colleagues. And there's lots of peer supports and lots of groups out there. Eventually, as we were doing good work, the word was spreading and the the, the profession of OT living and working in this mental health space started, be, started to become the norm um, because we were actually delivering great outcomes uh, and you do good work and it spreads and it gets out there. And I feel like because of that, um, you know, we started with handful of OTs six, seven years ago, and now we're almost about 100 strong, um, and it's growing. I do feel like uh, OTs, I, I mean, I, I always felt this. I always felt that OTs were the best profession in the world when I first got into the, into the game, but now, 16 years later, I truly feel even more strongly about that. Um, and interestingly enough, CBI Health as a company started 40-plus years ago as a basic physio company, and I'm pretty proud and confident in saying that 
in the next couple of years, it could it could easily be an OT company. And that's how strong I think the movement of OT is. And I'm proud to be a part of that that wave. And that's pretty amazing. Wow. That's um in terms of like all the avenues you had to go in, right? And uh and it sounds like you actually had to go out there and do actual meetings and dinners and that sort of thing. <laughs> and um that's that's really interesting. Um I'm, I'm sure there's probably most more stories you could go into on some of those meetings, but uh, for, for yeah, you know, you, you meet some interesting people out there for sure, especially psychologists. And I will say this psychologists, I always held in this high reverence, like they're this most sophisticated, smartest, most educated academic uh, professionals in this, in the field of mental health um, that can psychoanalyze you in, in a minute kind of thing. I, I always held them in this deep reverence, but honestly meeting so many private practice psychs out there, that just do work sometimes maybe for the wrong reasons. I feel like there's so many of them that are not unfortunately doing the right types of treatment for their clients and maybe do it for the wrong reasons and not to throw shade on all psychs. There's some really great ones out there and we work with a lot of them collaboratively. But um, I think in reality, just like physio or chiropractic or dentistry or psychology, I think whenever there's private practice in healthcare, there's always a bit of a conflict in terms of helping your clients to actually get better so they don't need you anymore versus getting them to keep coming and requiring your services that you get paid for. Um, so it's it's an interesting space, right, in terms of just private practice healthcare in general um, across multiple professions. But I'm happy to say that we have done really well as an OT group within our organization because we live and die by our outcomes. Like we do good work and we are successful because of our outcomes and because clients actually get better. And that's something I'm proud of. Kind of the why behind all of our performance indicators and why we collect that data, I suppose, right? Which I know sometimes gets lost in the day-to-day that it's easy to internalize it, but it sounds like a lot of that data and a lot of uh, that is really, uh, you know, pivotal to us moving forward, right? And delivering what we have. Yeah, honestly, you nailed it. I think the why behind what we do is the driving force behind everything. It's it's the, it's without that, nothing else follows. Uh, and we say it all the time when we try to find and recruit good candidates for this program. You know, not everyone comes with experience. Um, it's you, you'll be hard pressed to find an experienced OT that has trauma experience or first responder experience. Um, but for me, it's about fit. It's about passion. It's about an interest. And it's about as an OT, as a healthcare profession, like, do you have the desire and the ability to to connect with another human being on a deeper level, to, to be able to listen, to build deeper relationships, to care and to be compassionate about your clients and to actually want to make a difference in their lives? And if you can do that, and your client feels that from you, it doesn't matter what your skill level is. It doesn't matter what your education or your 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 experience is. It they will you start with that, you build a connection, you build a level of trust, and then you can you can go from there. So that's the kind of OT that we want in our program. And it's about the why behind what we do to your question is about it's about changing lives. Uh, and I truly, truly feel um, very, very strongly that that's what we do in this program. Um, is that we we work with the clients that are, that are the most vulnerable and in the worst positions possible in their lives, and we we get their lives back on track. Um, and we we get testimonial after testimonial um, that we like to share on our social media about clients that just feel so appreciative about us really turning their lives around, um, and it's really cool to see. Well, thanks for speaking on that. That's uh, so nice that you're able to go into that a little bit about the why and um, 
and, and hopefully we can showcase some more of those clients maybe in this platform in the future. But uh, it's uh, it is amazing to see that. And I and I, you know, and I try to tell my team members too, just to jump in on this is that I, I think, um, you know, and, and I think COVID also uh, played an impact in this for me personally, that, you know, you see all these jobs and everything that people are doing out there right and um you know uh, i don't want to say some jobs are just repetitive or, or mindless that's not fair to say but i will say that there's a lot of jobs out there that people are looking to do something else or uh, struggling in and have a terrible culture or whatnot and at the end of the day when you really reflect on what we do um, we really do get to make an impact some days maybe you feel smaller than others <laughs> but we really do get to make an impact in ways um, in, in building relationships and building um, you know true uh, value I think in, in moving people forward uh, even if it's not always that massive change that we want um, sometimes it, it's it's just it's such a rewarding area to work in isn't it right yeah and you're right it's not easy right and it's not it's not for everybody in that we do some great work, but there are some days that are harder than others. And sometimes you don't get all the glory and you don't get the recognition because we do challenging work in that we're pushing clients to do things that they don't want to do, right? So as an OT, you've got to be prepared and comfortable with the discomfort, just as we preach to our clients in terms of exposures, right? They got to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, but that applies to you as a clinician as well, because it, it kind of is counterintuitive to what you feel you should be doing as a caring and compassionate OT. So definitely it's about having the right person do this work um, for the right reasons, because there are some moments that um, you're going to have those gloomy days. And you, we, we say it all the time that you, you take the wins when you get them, because those are the those are the wins that you need to remember on the days that you have some losses. And that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's so true. And I loved your point too about when when recruiting therapists, I think too, and bringing people on board. Like, I mean, there's no one out there that has a lot of trauma experience, really, right? Um, the, you know, maybe over time there will be, but I think um, personally, that's one of the things that's really kept me connected and and kept me really engaged over the years is that we we take so many chances on the right and in, in, in finding the right person or the right OT versus the right experience. I remember when I was first looking for jobs way back then, it was like every single posting, you know, two, three years experience, five years experience, hospital experience, this. And it's like to have a company that believes in you, um, I think it's just, is amazing, right? Uh, Because a lot of that clinical stuff, as we know, can be taught. And a lot of it is highly dependent on the relationship you you build, right? With the, uh, with the client, right? Yeah, it it, uh, it makes me really proud to see so many new grads come out of school and just start making an impact right away. Um, yeah, like, like I said, it's not easy work, but if you have the right person, they can do amazing right from the jump. Um, no, well, thank you so much for speaking on the kind of initial stages of the trauma program and to evolve into what it is now and, uh, you know, 100 plus OTs doing this work. Um, so, yeah, so I guess my question that I wanted to ask you that maybe you spoke to it a little bit, but what do you value the most of in terms of, uh, the the community OT program and um, what has kind of kept you here all these years? <laughs> uh, good question. Good question, Kyle. I think it's a twofold question. I think from a career standpoint, what has kept me here all these years is I think the the prospect of more. I think that we CBI is such a large company, right? It's a, it's a large organization in that. Um, it can feel 
And it, it's it's possible in companies of this size and magnitude that it's easy to get lost, right? Um, some I think I've heard someone say that we're the Starbucks of of rehab, right? In that we're such a large monster that it's easy to just feel like a number. Um, but with size comes, I think, different opportunities. So whether it's lateral in terms of um, roles and responsibilities or whether it's lateral with respect to location, you can move from Toronto to, to Vancouver easily and do the same kind of job. Or if it's upward mobility, I think the exciting thing is that there's lots of opportunity to progress and to grow personally and professionally in your career. And I think having an organization that supports that growth and development, I think is important. Um, when I first started, I remember seeing, again, my mentor and my boss at the time, um, she was a, a director, she was an OT in a physio company, right? And there were other directors and VPs that were OTs and kins, um, and there were admin leaders as well. So I think seeing leaders at a corporate level come from different disciplines, starting from healthcare was exciting to me. Um, which is really cool, right? So not all CEOs or presidents have to be business people. Um, the CBI was founded as as a healthcare company run run by health professionals, right? That knew what we were doing in terms of of the industry. So that was that was kind of cool and exciting to me, and just the opportunity to work with really smart and cool people in different sectors across the country um, has given me lots of opportunities to progress in my career as well. Um, but in terms of the you know what I value. I think, I think that changes. It's it's a good question, Kyle. I think that based on your life stage, based on what's going on at home, whether it's kids or, or family or what have you, I think priorities change over the cycle of your career. Um, whether it's working 60 hours a week and, and making more money early on to having a better balance and some leadership responsibilities down the line, I think my priorities have changed over the last 16 years. Um, and what the job looked like early on to midway to now it has changed dramatically from frontlines clinical practice to more assessments to more treatment to more now mental health. Um, so I think what is what I really value, I mean, now in terms of my career is, is scaling the great work that we've done. Um, I think that I was fortunate enough to be hands-on and to work with clients with PTSD and to help them in their recovery and, and to see it through and to gain that experience. But as we have grown and evolved, I feel like now um, I have the the good fortune and the, and the privilege of working with 100 OTs that do the same kind of work. And I get to hear their stories every day. Um, and I get to see the larger impact that they have as a wider network. Um, and we've grown so much in Ontario. Uh, we have plans to do similar things in, in other provinces. Um, so the thing that excites me is just being able to keep keep going and keep paving the way. I thought that was great how you mentioned too, though, how your your values and, and interests do change over time, kind of how you discuss with like the mental health side and all that. And, and I think that's important to message for, for OTs kind of starting their career because I was sort of like you too, right, where I didn't think I'd be very interested in kind of the mental health side of things. And 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 now I can't really imagine doing anything else, right, or, or that not being a part of, of uh, sort of the work that I do, right? So, yeah, very interesting. So, yeah, I just had a couple questions to kind of uh, finish up here, I suppose. I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of new OTs and, and, and on our team, and and we already went over how you know how great it is to be able to to bring them on board and um, and and teach them all of this uh, this great stuff. And 
Um, what, what do you find like for you when you're you're thinking about skills, attributes that are most important for OTs to thrive in our program, right? Because I think a lot of us are out there kind of wondering, you know, some days is this the work for you on those tough days or even when you're first starting, you know, you're maybe not sure if this is the direction you want to go in and what. So what do you think, what do you think skills attributes wise that are very important to, to thrive in this sort of setting? Um, I mean, I think you, it goes back to your previous comment around, I think, the adaptability of the profession for one. I think that it's really cool to work in a space where, you know, early phase of your career, you can do MSK. If you wanted to do cognitive neuro, you could. If you wanted to do mental health, you can. So there's flexibility within the profession of OT that allows you to kind of go back and forth and over the course of time to be able to gain skills and to kind of flow back and forth in, in any direction. So I think to that, I think it's important that people are adaptable, right? You have to be nimble. You have to be able to r roll with the punches and kind of change course based on the landscape, based on legislation, based on where things are, are headed. Uh, mental health is right now is, is a hot topic. And I think it's going to be for some time. And COVID has had a lot to do with that. Um, so I think if you haven't had an interest in mental health and you want to stay in the private practice sphere, I think mental health is probably um, a smart thing to invest in in terms of your training and, and background. Um, but that might change, right? And you know, 10 years from now, OT might look very different. So I think to be successful in this profession, but also within this company, I think you got to be able to flow with the times, right? Um, but beyond that, I, I think that at the end of the day, this is a human profession, right? Healthcare has always been, no matter what setting you're in, whether it's in private practice or not, um, regardless of discipline, I think. But OTs more than any other one, I think, is, is is so, it's a human profession in that you have to work with people. And whether you are in sales or whether you are an FBI hostage negotiator, you have to understand how people work, right? You got to understand psychology and your influence over other people in terms of your words and your actions and how you can make a connection and that you can't influence any changes in someone's life unless you have that connection. Um, you have to be able to listen and to be empathic and show show empathy and, and compassion. If you start with that and you have that as, as a base skill, and not that, not that you're, you can't fake it because uh, people see through that. Um, I think that for the most part, people that enter the field of OT, I think are good people, right? Like you want to do good. You want to change lives. You want to make a difference. That's why you become a, a doctor or a therapist or an OT. Um, but beyond that, I think not only do you have to care about people and gen be genuine and sincere in your intentions, um, to be able to show empathy and to make a, a human connection is a skill. And it's a skill that you have to learn and to practice. Um, and some of it get it, get it naturally. And some people have to work on it. And some days we all have crappy days. We all have days that we get up on the wrong side of the bed or something bad happens at home that just makes you grumpy. But knowing that every interaction you have with a client in that moment is a privilege and you have an opportunity to either strengthen and further foster your connection or to possibly lose some of the trust that you've, you've built. So not forgetting that every every time, every moment you're with a client is an opportunity to move them forward. Um, and that's not uh, a responsibility that we should take lightly. Yeah, isn't that so true, right? Um, yeah, thanks for that. That's such a 
excellent answer. It's it's really nice to hear that too. And I think it's it's also important for us to be reminded of that every now and then, like you said, right? <laughs> so that's uh, on the grumpy days and whatnot, right? Uh, <laughs> that, that we all have. <laughs> So I, I've had you speaking about this for a while, but I, I would like to end with at least one uh, question that might be a little loaded uh, here. But um, where do you see this community OT world moving here in the future? Uh, what can we kind of get excited about uh, moving forward? What, uh, where do you see see things going with someone that's most connected to it than anyone? Ooh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a loaded question. I mean, I think there's lots of things on the go. Um, I think we... I mean, we've done so much in the space of psych trauma within the workers' comp setting, right? So workplace psychological injury, uh, we've we've grown a lot, but I think we're not even close to tapping into the vast number of clients that need our services. So I think furthering our relationship and our partnership with WCIB as a funder, I think is going to be probably phase one of the next step in that there's there's thousands of files that come through every year that are in need of the right treatment and the right program and we're getting a lot of it but we're not we're not even scratching the surface just yet so i think furthering that is probably going to be the first priority um, beyond that i think working with employers directly is going to be a huge field for ot workplace wellness uh, mental health initiatives from a preventative side uh, is I think a nice extension and evolution of what we're doing on the rehab side. So treat, treatment after they've already gone off work, after they've already been diagnosed, after they've already fallen off the rails, I think is where we live now. But I think having the opportunity to, because the employers already, they know what we do or they're starting to, and they see the value of OT. So the next step would be to get touch points early so that maybe we can provide some education and some um, some training around resilience and just mental health in general to hopefully prevent some of those clients from from turning into into clients, right? That's very um, interesting, actually. That's a that's just thinking about the possibility there is uh, is very interesting. Yeah, and and it's it's a huge it's a huge business, right? And I think that I've talked to so many employers in the last two years that want to do it and have said all the right things and are on board with prevent prevention because it costs them a lot of money when clients go off work. But for them to start to actually put their money where their mouths are and to invest in it and to allocate budget towards prevention has been a, that, that's been a different story. Um, so we're getting there, we're getting close. Uh, it's, it's all about showing value and show and kind of demonstrating the evidence that supports the work that we do. And I think the more work that we do in this space, um, the more we cement and enhance our our reputation as a profession, as OTs in mental health, um, I think eventually we'll get there. Um, and we're, we're a pretty strong, strong force with a lot of momentum right now. But psychology, psychotherapy is also another profession that also has a stake in the game that also want a piece of that pie. So not, not that it's a competition um, and not that any one profession can concretely say they do it better than anyone else. But I do feel confident in where we sit as OTs. Um, so that's probably number two. And I think that beyond that, I think the VAC world, so the Veterans Affairs world, um, we do a little bit of work in now, we dabble in it, um, but our our main focus has been first responders really um, and other occupations within the workplace context. 
But I think that from a mental health PTSD standpoint, I think everybody knows that veterans and active duty uh, members experience a ton of trauma and have um, diagnoses as well of PTSD, amongst other things. So I think growing that space within our, our program is is going to be one thing that we're going to look at too. Um, and the reality is that I think there's no shortage of clients that would benefit from OT services. And I say it all the time. I think that everybody would benefit from OT. Um, we just have to position ourselves in such a way that other people outside of us see that clients consenting to it for one, because they're, they need to become aware of what we do. And two funders, um, have to, again, see the value in it as well, because they are the ones going to, that are going to pay for it. Right. I think yeah, the preventative side and the veterans affairs that, that that those are some pretty exciting areas to explore. I think right, and I think any OT that is showing interest in this field and and um, that's ex- that's exciting to kind of see where things might go. Yeah, one other one other thing that has come up recently, and it's probably premature to speak to it. Um, sorry, Kyle, I know you had another another question, but I will I will say it because because I, I I do feel like there's a connection and. It's funny, when you go back to the origin stories and you asked me about OT when I first started, um, I had this idea, and I'm sure some people have it, I'm sure you do too, being a sports guy. Um, but like being an OT, it's, I, I've heard people talk about being an OT to the stars, right? like celebrity OT, or being an OT to right. athletes, <laughs> like yeah. you know, being the, the OT for the Toronto Raptors or something. I, it seems kind of far-fetched, but I do feel like there is value to that, right? And I think it's on us as a profession to... To somehow carve a space, you know, there's there's a RMT for every professional team. There's a designated right. trainer and physio, right? Um, can there be an OT? I think so. I mean, I always I always say that the skills that we teach people on a from a rehab standpoint, whether it's mental health or otherwise, are no different than the skills in life that are needed to be successful in any industry, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur, a business person, um, a student or someone recovering from an illness or disease, a lot of the skills that we teach people not only get you back to baseline, but can really help you to excel in life, right? So I think whether it's the mental health work that we do, the resilience, there's I think there is a parallel between OT and like life coaching in some way. And life coaching uh, or being a life coach is a completely, again, non-regulated, non-healthcare type of profession. but. Uh, in terms of the inspiration and the motivation and 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 giving people the tools to be successful in life, I mean, that's what we do every day. Um, so I think, I don't know if that's going to be something that we dive into as OTs, but I do think that those OTs that can be charismatic enough that we can inspire people and move people towards positive change, like that's what, that's a big chunk of what we do in our client-centered practices, right? Um, so yeah, anyway, just some of my my high in the sky thoughts around the OT profession yeah. and, and the types of avenues that we can creep into if we wanted to do so. Yeah, that's uh, very creative, I think, in, in your thinking and kind of where things may go. And uh, it definitely looks like it comes out of, uh, you know, such a genuine interest in this field, right? So it's, uh, you know, it's really exciting to hear you talk about all this and uh, anything else that's uh, that you wanted to touch more on that I didn't ask you. No, I mean, great questions. I appreciate the the opportunity to chat. And you and I have good talks all the time, Kyle. Um, I think this is an exciting podcast. I think that with some clients coming on board and some great OTs that we have on the, on the team joining the podcast as well, I'm excited to see what's coming up in terms of content and, and topics. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny because 
you know, we've been, you and I have been part of this company for a long time and training and development has looked a certain kind of way, right? There's, there's the weekend courses that are Saturdays and Sundays, and there's, there might be some remote workshops and some lunch and learns. And I think there's traditional methods of learning, but I feel like with our community group, our needs and our lifestyle and our schedules are so different. And I feel like with technology and COVID and virtual having grown so much in the last two and a half years, I feel like we need to adapt not only to how people want to receive information and how to, how they want to learn, but also with a different generation too, just giving people different types of information in different ways, I think is going to be really important. And for our team, especially we're driving a lot. Um, and yeah, there's going to be days where you want to blast music and there's some, some days where you want to just sit quiet and talk to your parents or your family members or friends. Um, but there's some days when it's 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 a nice use of time to to listen to a podcast and to learn some things around a group of clinicians that do similar work as you that have that shared experience. So I think I'm excited about what this podcast is going to bring. And I'm excited to have you lead it out. Oh, thanks so much, Colin. And, and yeah, you articulated that perfectly in terms of where we hope to go with it. And um, and, 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 I, and I totally agree that that it can be an area where we can really enhance the training and development. And and maybe the last point I'll leave with is I, I think it's also with our community group growing so large. I mean, it's so nice to stay connected in some way, right? And the way we connect with people, I think, is is really evolving over time, right? I mean, it's a lot more uh, virtual. It's a lot on, uh, you know, social media and different avenues. So any ways that we can kind of connect ourselves back to what's important to us and, and in this world, I, I think it hopefully can enhance that, right? And, and, and feeling like this bigger community is maybe one that doesn't feel so big, right? And, and one that you can get to know some people that you're working with in, in a non, non, non-traditional or unconventional way, I suppose. So thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. And that's a wrap on our inaugural episode of the OT Connect podcast. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And to quote another great leader, Simon Sinek, most of us know what we do. Lots of us know how we do it, but not many know the why behind what we do. I hope today you're able to leave with a bit more of the why. Thanks so much for reaching out once again. And I would ask you and encourage you, if any of you would like to be part of a future episode, to please reach out to myself or producer, Sonia Jock. And also, if you have any ideas for future episodes, we would really like to hear from you. Thank you, and until next time.